a humbling privilege to come before you and to sit under your word. Thank you for the living word. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, it is him that we serve. Lord, I pray that your will would be done this morning, that I would decrease and you would increase. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts and open up your word unto us this morning. We lift up Pastor John as he's probably standing in a pulpit at this very moment right now. Would your will be done? Would he decrease? Would you, would you increase? And may your word go forth with power and grace. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. For those that have been with us through this series, you know uh, we are looking at the letter to the Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. And it's been fantastic to be able to look at it passage by passage from the very beginning. Um, if you're new this morning, uh, that's where we've been and that's where we will be for uh, two more weeks, I believe. And uh, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Today we're going to focus on verses 18 through 25. We'll read those momentarily. But you can turn to your Bible. We will not have the passages on the screen this morning, so you will have to read your Bible along with me in church. Or use your cell phone. I like to use that too. And turn to Colossians 3. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 25. My title of today's message is Gospel Families, What God Designs, God Refines. Gospel Families, What God Designs, God Refines. We have bold faith for the families of this community because we serve a God. We have bold faith for the healing, restoration, and flourishing of the families of this community because we serve a God. We stand with you as a family for the community, for the glory of God. We stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ because we serve a God. We serve a God who is in the business of healing, restoring, and releasing within our families the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. But I know that for many of us, the family happens to be the place where things break down. We know that sin affects all of creation, but it especially shows up in the family. But we serve a God. We serve a God who designed the family. And even when human beings have distorted the image of the family, we serve a God who can resurrect the family in his image. We serve a God who not only has a divine design for the family, but he also has a divine purpose and a divine 
mission. You may be here this morning and have lost hope, are losing hope, are in the mess of it all right now. But I came to tell you that we have a living hope. We serve a God of living hope. Jesus Christ, the everlasting, seated at the right hand of the Father. And what God designs, God refines. I love design. I think that all of human beings design things in in certain ways, small ways, large ways. And it's an expression of the creative nature of who we are. And I believe that in our day, it's a really exciting time. Because design concepts are being presented all over the world in new and exciting ways. And really serious designers, people that design for a living, they, they begin with an idea or a concept and then they, they, from that, they need to make a blueprint or a model for that concept in order for their idea or product to be produced. So you have the idea, you have the blueprint, and you have the production. And I, I, Designers have two key questions I learned that they keep in mind throughout the whole process. The first question is, what is it for? What is this product or idea what is it for it's a purpose question and number two who is it for and that helps shape the purpose for the product who is it for what type of people are going to enjoy this and I think about Toyota they make vehicles and they make a a really cool vehicle called the Toyota Prius I know it's not very exciting but I, I really appreciate it so I, I think about them having a concept, right? And, and, and they're asking the question, well, what is it for, this Toyota Prius? Well, it's not a Corvette. It's more practical. It's way more efficient. It's environmentally friendly. It's not designed to be a high-performance sports car. And then you ask, well, who is it for? Well, it's for people like me who don't have Corvette money. Who don't care about having a fast, flashy car. They just want to get around town and not spend a ton of money on gas and do something that's good for the environment. Does that make sense? So they designed a Prius. They made a plan. They made a blueprint so that it can be produced and reproduced on a large scale for people to enjoy. So we see the purpose, not just how it's used, but they want to ensure that it's enjoyed and that the world would benefit. And I would call that a good design. It's successful on many levels. This morning, we're going to look at the design that God has for the family. Let's read the text together in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 25. You follow along with me. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Amen. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Amen and amen. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's where we shout hallelujah. 
Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. God has a great purpose for the family. And I believe in, in our modern age, nothing could be more important than connecting our story to God's story in reference to the family. So we're going to look back because I believe the institution of marriage and the institution of the family ordained by God has never been more misunderstood and under attack than it is today. In the very beginning, we know that God, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, made man in his image, male and female, to be one husband and one wife. And that out of this beautiful union that we see in the Trinity, they are to unite and become one flesh. just want to talk about the Trinity for a moment. I'm going to read this quote because it says it way better than I could ever say it. There's a, a term that's used called perichoresis. It's a Greek word. And it has no great translation into English, but it can roughly be mis, excuse me, understood as interpenetration, where each divine person permeates and is permeated by the others without confusion. Jesus speaks of this intimate union when he says, the Father is in me and I in the Father. The union is dynamic and reciprocal. Each person is for the others, with the others, and in the others. The everlasting love forms them and unites them in a current of life so infinite and complex so as to constitute the unity between them. Perichoresis is made up of a combination of two words, kora, which means space, and korin, the verb, means to, uh, to, uh, around. So it's a sense of making space. So you have this picture of 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 a, uh, a triune God who in relation to each other has this almost undescribable mystical unity that we see and God creates male and female out of that essence, out of that, out of that image. And so it's not good for, me, for man to be alone because from the very beginning the design for man was to be part of a family because a family reflects the relational nature of God. In Genesis 18, the word says that Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Now we're starting to see the purpose for a, a household. It was designed to image God, but now there is a discipleship mission that we see happening within the household. 
Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, and here it is. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Verse 9 says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is what I would like to to call a through line. We see a through line happening. God making man in his triune image. Therefore, it's not good for man to be alone, but he is part to be part of a family. His promise to Abraham and the command to Israel comes with the responsibility to raise up a faith-filled house in order to be a blessing unto the nations. The family. Paul wrote in the beginning of this letter to the Colossians that the gospel is increasing and bearing fruit all over the world and is doing so right here within you, church. And so God is doing through us what he has always promised according to his plan and his design through the church and through the family. And so when we read verses like this, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What we see is the outworking of the Spirit of God moving through his people in order to fulfill his design, his plan, and his purpose. It's the result of the resurrection power by way of the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in whom we died to our sinful, self-centered ways and are raised to live anew, empowered by God to live in accordance to his will and to his design the beauty of this of God's blueprint for family is not restricted to the physical family so even though this morning I'm going to be talking about husbands and wives and wives and wives and children don't think for a second that this doesn't apply to you this morning as a matter of fact if you've been with us these past few weeks we have moved through the implications of gospel living. And here Paul's only reinforcing what he has already stated in the previous chapters. We're just focusing it on the family. So today we're going to look at God's blueprint and three components that are necessary to produce a gospel family. If you're taking notes, I'll give you the three right now. Number one, a humble heart of submission. Number two, a selfless, sacrificial love. And number three, a cultivated obedience. A humble heart of submission, a selfless, sacrificial love, and a cultivated heart of obedience. The first component is the humble heart of submission. What is the humble heart of submission? I think the first thing we need to do is to look at the life of Jesus. Because when we look at the life of Jesus and reflect it against who we are and how we live, we see areas that he wants to refine. Amen? We have a blueprint. We have a model, an example. And we know that if we fail 
in any way or deviate in any way, we can lean on God's grace, who is always seeking to refine us, but that requires humility. It requires a dependency on God. And so the first verse this morning is the perfect place to start. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Without cultivating a humble heart of submission, it's impossible to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. A humble, submissive heart fundamentally says to God, thy will be done. Jesus in the garden on his way to the cross prayed, my father, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Humble submission isn't something that Jesus did once in a while in response to a situation. It was his posture, always unto the Father, a heart of submission. We see in the life of Jesus the complete opposite of self-centeredness, the complete opposite of self-assertion. Jesus entrusted everything to the Father. And so all the disciples of Jesus Christ are to live by this example. Not just wives, not just husbands, but specific to cultivating an environment of grace in the household. A submissive heart is a critical component. A humble heart is essential as a disciple of Jesus Christ fundamentally. It's modeled by Jesus, but it's something that we grow in and we learn to apply it in every area of our life. Because I believe that when we adopt a communal rhythm of life, this triune trinity idea, discipleship begins to take place in all of life, not just during the gathering times. All of life, especially in the home. Now let's get real. That sounds great. But what happens when you get into a fight? What happens when you disagree with one another? Or you operate in a level of distrust with one another? And I know more often than not, in the household, many experience the opposite of humble submission. But the opposite of submission, I want you to know, is defiance. In Latin, the word is disfetus. Fetus means faith, faithful. This means the reversal of that. And it actually speaks to an open resistance, a refusal to obey, and a challenge to combat, even. Now imagine a relationship that's like that all the time. Where there is no humility. There is no yielding to the other person. There's no unity. Would that be befitting unto the Lord? Does that align with what we've talked about? The Trinity and the nature within the Trinity? Is that God's design for the family or for your own heart? Or are we allowing sin to once again... Operate against the purposes of God for our family. Are we challenged in the ways that we respond to one another? Husbands to wives, 
wives to husbands? Is our first response to one another often a critical or pessimistic one? Or is there a space-making, entrusting to the Holy Spirit that says, Husband, wife, I trust you because I trust Christ in you. And even when we disagree, I know that we are on a mission not to seek perfection, but to submit to the Lord. He's refining us. I know from experience how important a heart of submission is, especially in a marriage. But in any friendship or relationship without submission, without humility, I think it's almost impossible to resolve any conflict. I found, I've learned the hard way, that in order to move forward and honoring the Lord in the process, I need to humble myself. Even if I'm right. Even if I'm justified. But it's my conviction that God cares more about unity and humility than whether you're right or wrong. Or whether your wife is right or wrong. Over and over and over, I'm beginning to learn to see that how God honors a humble heart that says, I submit to you, God, first and foremost. And what happens is you make space for grace in your relationships to enter in. You invite the Spirit into that situation when you humble yourself. But if you stand in defiance, you risk standing in the defiance of the Spirit of God. And so when there's a problem, when what God designed and what is being produced isn't lining up in our families, in our relationships, we can go back to the blueprint. What's the blueprint? Who is the blueprint? Jesus Christ, who modeled perfectly how to live in submission to the Father, who modeled perfectly how to live a sinless, humble life. But we go to the blueprint not just to identify the problem, but to humbly ask God to refine us. Because what God designs, God refines. And so we bow at the feet of Jesus and ask him to examine our hearts. We ask him to refine us in the area of humble submission because we know that it reflects the very character of Christ. So don't be discouraged if you fall short in this area, I fall short every day. I want you to be encouraged that you can come to Jesus Christ and receive grace in the time of need. And he'll lift you up. The second component of a gospel family is selfless, sacrificial love. Verse 19 says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We're harsh for many reasons. You name it. Am I harsh because I didn't get my way? Am I harsh because my expectations are unrealistic? Am I harsh just because I'm a jerk? Most of the time. But like a humble heart without cultivating a selfless, sacrificial love, it is impossible to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ without an environment of sacrificial love, 
Humble submission is not possible. Do you see both work together? They're like interlocking components. They're both fitting in the Lord. They both have a purpose. You can't have one without the other. They're necessary components that affect the whole. So when the family does not embody a heart of submission and a heart of sacrificial love, it will not operate the way God designed us to operate, and that's to flourish. These aren't just things that we should do in order to survive. God wants us to experience him in greater and greater ways, and he's teaching us how to do that by incorporating the rhythms that are within his own life. 1 John 4 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. There's that beautiful union that God wants us to experience. When we operate in sacrificial love, we operate in the way that Jesus lived his life. He flows in sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is unconcerned with the self. It's concerned with, with the greatest good of the other. It's not born out of emotions or feelings or attractions, but from the transformed will. It's a choice that we can grow in making from glory to glory. It requires faith. It requires commitment and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. You know, in Japan, Japan has an unbelievable culture. It's completely different than what we experience here. There's a remarkable concept that describes hospitality. See, in Japan, hospitality is a way of life. And they express a form of selfless hospitality called omotenashi. Omotenashi describes the fact that the host puts all of their attention in the slightest details so that the guests can have the best possible experience. Omote means public face. Nashi means nothing. And it carries with it an idea that you do things with not expecting a reward or to make your public face look better. And I thought about Jesus in his humble heart, his sacrificial love, emptying himself, making himself unto the form of a servant. I think about how God held nothing back in order to restore us, even the slightest details, the deep, intricate matters of the heart, so that we can experience him the way that we were created to. Men, we, you, are called to lay down your life for your families the same way that Jesus laid down his life for you and me. We lead on our knees out of a brokenness, knowing that we are in desperate need for God to heal us in the deepest places with his self-giving love so that we can be ravished by it, nurtured by it, and that somehow, by God's grace, we'd be able to lead our families to experience God's love in amazing ways. But let me be stern with you for one moment, men, and with myself. You 
are not the master. You are not called to be a dictator. You're called to lead sacrificially and with gentleness. If your wife is struggling with a submissive heart, perhaps it's because you're not nourishing it with sacrificial love. Wives, if your husbands are struggling with gentleness, and we often do, and a sacrificial heart, ask yourselves, am I cultivating this environment? Am I encouraging my husband? Am I making space? Am I putting his interests ahead of mine? Or am I constantly critiquing him? You see, these all work together. But if what is being produced does not line up with the blueprint, we can come back to the feet of Jesus. Amen? We must go back to the blueprint constantly over and over and over again to the feet of Jesus and ask him to cultivate within us a pure heart that reflects the character of Jesus Christ himself and his sacrificial love. The component of a humble heart, of a sacrificial love. And the third necessary component today is a cultivated obedience. I've talked about how these all work together they express one reality. And in many ways, the humble heart and the sacrificial love cultivate obedience. Obedience the way that God designed it. Because we obey out of a heart of sincerity and reverence to the Lord. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. In these eight verses before us today, the Lord is referenced six times. Everything is for the Lord and in the Lord and through the Lord. We have hearts of submission because it is fitting in the Lord. We have hearts of obedience because it pleases the Lord. We obey with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever we do, we work with all of our heart for the Lord. We receive an inheritance, our reward from the Lord. And finally, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so how do the disciples of Jesus obey? Why do they obey? It's out of a response to God for who he is in all that he has done for us. It's because God poured out his sacrificial love. It's because Jesus humbled himself, surrendered everything to the Father, was obedient to the cross, even unto death, that we respond in gratitude, sincerity, and reverence. That is why we obey. It's because he has stopped short at nothing to restore us and to call us to our purpose. Gospel families cultivate obedience in the same way. God told Abraham to direct his children and his household in the ways of the Lord. 
God told Israel to love God with all of their heart, their soul, their strength, and out of this love to impress God's ways unto their children and to their household. Paul is saying the same thing. Discipleship begins at the home. It's meant to begin at the home. Jesus said, go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. And so we learn to obey Jesus in every area of our lives, in the church, at our job, at home. Because it's through obedience that God works to accomplish his purposes for our lives. Sometimes our children disobey because we discourage them. The Bible warns us against discouraging our children. How do we avoid discouraging our children? I think it's so simple. and That's why we miss it so often. We encourage them. The passage says, don't embitter them. That word literally alludes to a father who is hard to please. And when you're a father or a parent who's hard to please, your children feel like they cannot please you and they become discouraged. Here's the beeline to the gospel. Can any of us earn the acceptance and the pleasure of our heavenly father by what we do? But those in Christ are already accepted, already loved, already chosen by virtue of what Jesus has done for us. That is why we respond in loving obedience. So if we don't encourage our children and teach them the gospel truths that they are already loved, already accepted, already chosen, you risk not only discouraging them, but perhaps much worse. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. At this point, I'll ask the worship team to come up as we're nearing the close here. I'm not purposely spending a lot of time on this portion because everything we talked about so far today, if followed, will cultivate a gospel obedience not only in the home but in the workplace and everywhere else in life. When we raise our children in accordance with the gospel, they should have an understanding of what constitutes a biblical work ethic. Amen. They understand that they're not working ultimately for human masters. And if you noticed, all of this is a matter of the heart. The word says, with sincerity of heart we obey. We work with all of our heart unto the Lord. It is him that we serve. Husbands. It is the Lord that you serve. Wives, it is the Lord that you serve. Children, it is the Lord 
that you serve. Everyone, church, it is the Lord that we serve at work or at school or at, at, the, uh, at home. Whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. Why? Since we know that we will receive an inheritance from the Lord. And we've already received it. Jesus Christ himself. We have received him. And we'll receive even more when we face him. And so we know that when we fall short, what's being produced doesn't line up with what God designed. God beckons us to come to him. And at this point, I'll ask you to stand. We will close with a song. But I want us to spend a moment in contemplation. Because I couldn't cover everything. But I know that in the family, there's a variety of experiences. Some of us this morning are struggling, even now. And I want to tell you, we want to make space this morning at this altar. Our prayer partners are going to come up. We want to pray for you. All of us need to come back to the model, the example, the blueprint of Jesus Christ and to bow at his feet and say, God, we know that you designed us, yet we've fallen short. However, you refine us. You are with us. You transform us from glory to glory so that we can grow in likeness of yourself in the image of Jesus Christ. As long as we turn to him and say, God, we need you to move in our families and the families of this community. We need the grace of Jesus Christ to be unleashed as never before. And we will stand before him one day. Anyone who wronged us will be repaid for their wrongs, for there is no favoritism. And on that day, those in Christ will be rewarded. You may not be rewarded much now. You may not make a lot of money now. But God sees that and he notices that. But the scripture teaches us that God cares more about your heart than anything material. He cares more about your heart than we care about our status, our position, our self-centeredness, the harsh ways that we treat our spouse, our children, the way that we cut corners at work, the way that we're discipling our family. But he's done everything necessary for our families to be restored in the gospel in order for the family of God and the community of God to be what they were meant to be a blessing unto the nations a bold witness for Jesus Christ so what was promised to Abraham commanded to Moses has been fulfilled in Christ and in your midst this morning church and that's where our story is found in God's story. It is in Christ Jesus. You may be here today and your experience is the opposite of what the Bible says it should be. Maybe it's no fault of your own. Maybe you were raised in a gospel environment, but now you're understanding that it's your turn to carry the torch and that's not a light responsibility. I want to encourage you this morning. We want to make space together as a community. We invite the Spirit. 
into our hearts. Pray for our families. We want to pray for your family. We want to pray for this community. We want to pray for your relationships, your relationships at work, wherever there's tension, wherever you need to confess. We want to give space this morning. So we will sing a song together. The altar will be open.
Father, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you that in you we're already loved, we're already accepted, that we can come to you. And you receive us as we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for saving us, for delivering us from a life of rebellion and sin and transferring us to the kingdom of your son. So we pray over your people this morning that they would be released and that they would be encouraged to seek your face this week, to seek your heart this week and to walk in the rhythms that we see that you yourself modeled for us and you empower us to do that your grace is overwhelmingly powerful and submission and sufficient and where we are weak you are strong so church we bless you as you go if we will be here for uh, some time so if you would like prayer or counsel uh, we will be available here but have a blessed day thank you